All right, praise the Lord. Genesis chapter 8 this morning. Yes, I know what day it is. You may think this is an odd text for a resurrection message. But if you've been with us over the years, then you've seen many times how the series we're going through just line up perfect with these major events. And it's, I believe it's happened yet again. Pastor DeGarmo mentioned that in his Sunday school lesson as well. And I like to highlight these things because I don't plan these things out. And, and I bring these things up because I want you to understand you're in a place where the Holy Spirit is leading. Amen. That's important. If you're visiting with us and you're looking for a church, seek for a church where the Holy Spirit is leading. If you attend here faithfully, then thank God He has you here. I don't say that because I think I'm something special. I realize I am far from it. And you won't have to look very very far to find someone more refined, more educated, more qualified, I get it. I often think how you'd be better off with someone else, and I stay because I know God's called me here. And I want to remind some of you here this morning, you know, there's no perfect pastors. There's also no perfect people. And so there are no perfect churches. Well, you don't know what this church did to me. I'm sure you were wronged. We've been there. But don't let that be a stain on every church and all of God's people. There's no perfect churches. My point is, I guess, your church home is too important to choose based off of fleshly pleasures. Isn't that right? I want this amenity. I want this program. This attitude can manifest itself in a lot of ways. It, It doesn't have to be something as obvious as, I want a rock band over singing hymns. But do you understand it could actually be conservative things that appeal to your flesh and you'll base your home church off of that. You'll assume you're being more godly when in reality it's still just what your flesh wants. And if you don't clearly have Bible for your choice, your standard, your preferred sound, your preferred qualifications, your preferred programs, then you have to search within and ask yourself, Am I really just looking for a church that pleases my flesh, or am I looking where the Spirit of God is is at work? Amen. Amen. For those of you, God is very definitely directed here. Never doubt in the night what God has revealed in the light. If it was God's will back then, what has changed to make it not God's will now? Well, I could preach all morning there. In our series through Genesis... We've already covered the first five verses of chapter 8, but instead of going verse by verse today, I want to take some of the imagery that we find in this chapter to make application to the work that God does in our lives and then tie it all back to the resurrection of Christ. You'll remember in chapter 6, we saw the breakdown of society because of the breakdown of the home. God had looked upon the earth and He said it was corrupt, it was filled with violence, And God said in Genesis 6-5, He saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. But remember, Noah walked with God. Because Noah was a a man of God and he, he sought after the Lord, he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. 
God instructed him to build an ark to the saving of his family, to the saving of the animals that God would lead there. Noah obeyed by faith. Hebrews 11.7 tells us, By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. And so God was merciful, amen, even though He had said, I'm going to bring destruction. He gave a long window of time for repentance. He gave the message. He gave the method of escape. And all people had to do was receive the message by faith, and God would deliver them. And, and He gave them this space of time to repent, just as He's still doing today. God's coming again. And He's giving us time to repent. He's giving us space to get right with Him. And we've got to understand that God is holy, God is just, and therefore God must deal with sin. In chapter 7, God dealt with sin. We saw that. God's Word came to pass. The earth and every land creature was destroyed. Everything which had the breath of life, Every, uh, all of humanity except for those eight souls in the ark were destroyed by God's wrath through a global flood. And aren't you glad God's children aren't appointed under wrath? Amen. That'll shout the house down right there. Listen, how sad though that out of all humanity back in Noah's day, only eight souls received Christ. All the rest rejected at the time of the flood. They rejected His message They rejected His messenger, and they rejected His method. And through the events surrounding God's flood, I've talked a great deal about storms over the last several weeks. Don't have time to recap all that. If you missed any of it, please go back, take a listen, because storms are inevitable. Storms of life, and you might as well get prepared. Last week, we saw in verse 4 that after five months, the ark finally came to rest. And I use that picture to speak of Christ. He is our ark. Amen. The ark is a picture of Christ. And we spoke about how Christ, after he was, when He was on the cross, the last thing He said was, it is finished. And then God rested from His work of paying for our sin debt. It's all paid for. Amen. Through His blood and sacrificial death, there's nothing that you can do that's going to add to the payment of your sin. He said, it is finished. Remember, that's an accounting term. It means paid in full. Hallelujah. It's fully paid for. You can't add to it. God didn't do 80% and said, now I need you to do 20%. I need you to be baptized in this church. I need you to join this particular church. I I need you to do this many good works to outweigh your bad. No, God didn't say that. Amen. God said, I paid it all 100%. Nothing you have to add to it. All God requires is that you believe. Say, what do I got to believe? His sacrificial death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. We'll throw that in there. If you've accepted Christ as your Savior, we concluded last week with the encouragement of just learn to rest in what He's done for you. Amen? Just rest in that. doesn't mean we don't work. It doesn't mean we don't labor for Him. But what it means is we are secure. We're comforted. We're resting knowing that our salvation is all taken care of. My standing with God, no matter how stupid I may be, no matter how many dumb sins I may commit, my standing with God cannot change. That's not a license to sin. Right? So don't take it that way. But I'm just saying I'm, I'm at peace. I'm at rest. Hebrews 4, 9, and 10. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God 
For he that is entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works, as God did from his. So here's the bottom line in my intro. God will deal with your sins. But it's up to you on how he will do so. You can either accept his full payment through Christ, or you can reject Christ and endure his wrath for yourself. It's your choice. You see, Christ already endured the wrath that we, in, we deserved when he was on the cross. As we begin today, I want us to see how God specializes in bringing about new beginnings. God dealt with sin by pouring out His wrath on an ungodly world in Genesis 7. God dealt with sin by pouring out His wrath upon the sinless Christ, the perfect spotless Lamb of God. And in this chapter, in chapter 8 of Genesis, God will bring about a new beginning. And through Christ's substitutionary death, His sacrifice on the cross, His shed blood, and then His resurrection, it brings to us a new beginning in our life. Let's read verses 1 through 14. And God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the cattle that was with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth, and the waters assuaged. And the fountains also of the deep and the windows of heaven were stopped. The rain from heaven was restrained. And the waters returned from off the earth continually. And after the end of the hundred and fifty days, the waters were abated. And the ark rested in the seventh month on the seventeenth day of the month upon the mountains of Ararat. And the waters were decreased continually until the tenth month. In the tenth month on the first day of the month were the tops of the mountains seen. And it came to pass at the end of forty days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made. And he sent forth a raven which went forth to and fro until the waters were dried dried up from off the earth. Also he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters were abated from off the face of the ground. But the dove found no rest for the sole of her foot, and she returned unto him into the ark, for the waters were on the face of the whole earth. Then he put forth his hand and took her and pulled her in unto him into the ark. And he stayed yet other seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came into him, In the evening, and lo, in her mouth was an olive leaf plucked off. So Noah knew that the waters were abated from off the earth. And he stayed yet other seven days and sent forth the dove, which returned not again unto him any more. And it came to pass in the six hundredth and first year, in the first month of the first day of the month, the waters were dried up from off the earth. Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. And in the second month, on the seventh and twentieth day of the month, the earth was dried. Remember in Genesis 1-2, as God is creating everything, He's beginning creation, we read over there that the Spirit moved upon the face of the waters. And two weeks ago, I spoke about how we see the same thing here in chapter 8. If you'll notice in verse 1 again, it says, God made a wind to pass over the, the earth. And remember, the word spirit in chapter 1, the word wind in chapter 8, they are identical in the Hebrew language. You'll find the same thing in the New Testament in the Greek. Wind and spirit, there's times where they're identical. And so we find the exact same picture in chapter 1 and chapter 8. Chapter 1 is obviously a new beginning, amen, God's creating. (laughs) 
That's easy. I didn't have to go to school for that. And then we find over there God moving upon the face of the waters. Here in chapter 8, after God dealt with sin, He caused a merciful and a gracious wind to pass upon the waters once again. And what's taking place here in chapter 8? It's a new beginning. Amen? He has destroyed sin. He's dealt with it. And now there's time for a new beginning. The ark eventually comes to rest. The waters continue to recede. Uh, Noah eventually sends a dove out to check for signs of this new beginning. And he also sent out a raven. We'll talk about that next time. Now, we see this connection between the Spirit and the water in other places in our Bible. For example, when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, the Bible says when He came up out of the waters, the Spirit came down like a dove and lighted upon Him. And we see this connection between water and the Spirit. But perhaps the most obvious connection in all of the Bible is John chapter 3. And I'm going to go there if you turn with me, please. I'd like you to see this this morning. In John chapter 3, Nicodemus comes to Jesus. He has some questions and they have a conversation together. And as Jesus speaks with him, he makes this connection with a new beginning to water and the Spirit. And we see in John chapter 3, I'll just begin in verses 1 through 3. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus gets right to the heart of the issue. Isn't that right? He goes right to his need to be born again. Now what do we often call being born again? We call it the new birth. It is a new beginning. In verse 4, Nicodemus understands the the physical birth, but he doesn't yet understand the spiritual birth that Jesus is talking about here. And so he asked Jesus, with his logic thinking here, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? But look at how Jesus replies in verse 5 as he further explains being born again. And notice how Jesus speaks of a new beginning taking place in our lives. Look at verse 5. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, or truly, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So isn't this interesting? Just as God moved upon the, the waters during creation... Just as God brought a wind upon the waters after He destroyed the earth in chapter 8, now we see it takes water and the Spirit to have a new birth. There's a very clear connection between these three accounts. And it's the same imagery in chapter 1 of Genesis, chapter 8, and now we get this connection here in John chapter 3. Now, some say when Jesus speaks of the waters, some see baptism. But I want to address that here because that can't be the case. And I could get into the weeds here explaining all this about the the Spirit and the water. In my opinion, it cannot be the interpretation Jesus is saying water and Spirit that the waters are baptismal waters. You You say, why is that? 
Because Jesus went on to say in this verse, if you don't have the water and you don't have the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. That's what he said, right? So what does that mean? That's not baptism then. Because you'll remember the thief on the cross. What did he request? He said this, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And what did Jesus say back to an unbaptized man? He said, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. So there's no way that John 3, 5 here can refer to the baptismal waters. The thief who wasn't baptized entered the kingdom. So I hope that makes sense. Some make the application of the water that Jesus speaks of as being the Word of God. There's certainly room for that. Uh, There's plenty of scriptures that would, would teach that the water and the Word are connected. And I'm currently content for what it's worth that when Jesus speaks of the water and the Spirit, He's speaking of one and the same thing. That this is all the Spirit. We find similar language like this when John the Baptist spoke about uh, baptizing. He said in Matthew 3.11, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. What's the fire? It's the Holy Ghost. It's one and the same. Are you following my logic? In Isaiah 44, verse 3, For I will pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. I will pour my Spirit upon thy seed and my blessing upon thine offering. It's the same thing. Water and the Spirit, they are the same. Titus 3, 5, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Washing obviously speaks of water, amen? And so we see again, water and the Spirit, the Holy Ghost, they're the same. John 7, verses 38 and 39. He that believeth on me, this is Jesus speaking, as the Scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But listen to what it says in parentheses next. But this spake he of the Spirit. So the water and the Spirit are the same. I think John 3, 5 can be just as easy as that. I don't know that we need to go digging and making this more difficult than it is. I think the water and the Spirit here are the same thing, meaning this. Being born again is all the work of the Spirit. Amen. We, we can debate some of this another time, but, but the point for this message is this, there's a very clear connection here between the water and the Spirit. This is, this is what brings about a new beginning. And this makes sense because... Being born again is a spiritual birth. If it's a spiritual birth, then why would something in your flesh be needed to contribute to it? And so it is a spiritual birth. Jesus makes this plain here in verse 6. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Now, let's, we have one more thing to connect here to this imagery back in Genesis from John 3. Look at verses 7 and 8. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. Look, here comes the wind. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. And so now there's this connection again to the wind and the Spirit. So like the wind, we can't see the operation of the Holy Spirit visibly, right? We can't see the wind visibly. We can see manifestations of it. We can hear it. Amen. We live in South Dakota. We, we can hear it. And, and 
we can see the manifestation of the Holy Spirit at work. We may not can see it with visible eyes, carnal eyes, but we can see it through spiritual eyes and we can see the transformation that takes place in a person's life. What is that? It's the work of the Holy Spirit. How is all of this so? Now I want you to get this now because I'm going to start bringing it home. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Whoop! Amen. Amen. That's where we take laps, Brother DeGarmo. That's it right there. Now, I don't think I have to convince anyone here this morning that you're a sinner. Right? If you doubt that you're a sinner and you had children, that should remove all doubt. (laughs) Even when you were a child, nobody taught you how to lie. Probably in the nursery this morning, there's some child grabbing something in there saying, mine. It's not yours. You with me? Nobody had to teach a kid how to lie. Nobody had to teach a kid how to pitch a fit. They just do it. Why? It's their nature. It's their sin nature. We're all born with that. We all all did from the womb what comes natural, and that's sin. We were conceived in sin. We were born in sin. And now we are born sinners. And as we got older, the sin got worse. Sad to say, but that's true. But God can take our sin and He can cause the dead to come to life. Because in our sins, the Bible says we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. But God, who is rich in mercy for His great love, wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together, that's to make us alive, hath quickened us together with Christ, By grace, you are saved. And so if you've never been born again, and I know in a crowd this size, there's someone. I want you to know that God specializes in giving new beginnings. God wants to give you a new life today. One of the greatest of God's miracles is God saving sinners. God makes all things new. He can make you a new creature in Christ. 1 Corinthians 6.11 says, And such were some of you. Talking about your past. You were sinners. You were lost. You were hopeless. Such were some of you. But ye are washed. There's the water. But ye are sanctified. Ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. And by the Spirit of our God. We see the connection between water and Spirit. You're washed by the Spirit. Now how is all this possible? How is it that God gives a new life and gives a new beginning and can take away your sins and all of this that we're talking about? Well, go to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Let's read verses 12 through 19. Now, if Christ be preached that He rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen... Then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that He raised up Christ, whom He raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain. Ye are yet in your sins. 
then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are, are of all men most miserable. What a statement. So, Jesus was... Paul there is saying we would be most miserable if all we have is hope in Christ. What he's saying is, if Jesus was just another man that lived and died, we, we have no hope. No matter how unjust his death was as just another man then he lied to us if there's no resurrection. He claimed to be the Christ. If Christ didn't rise again, then according to verse 14, all that we're doing today is in vain. I'm sorry, Karen, that you practice your song. I'm sorry to the pianist that you practice. I'm sorry to the choir that you practice. I'm sorry that I prepared. I'm sorry to the Sunday school teacher. Because if Christ did not rise again, then what we're doing has absolutely of no value. We're just another dead religion. All of this is for nothing. This preaching's in vain. Our faith is in vain. It is all hollow. We might as well stop printing God's Word. We might as well stop running the buses. We might as well stop preaching in the jail. We might as well stop preaching in the nursing home. We might as well stop singing unto the Lord. We might as well stop playing instruments to God's glory. We might as well stop having our prayer meeting. We just need to go ahead, disband, and never gather again. That's how serious the resurrection is, Paul saying. In verse 15, if Christ did not rise again, then those eyewitnesses in the first century were all liars. And on top of that, all of us who testify of Christ rising again, we're liars. Verse 18, if Christ didn't rise again, then we need to stop offering the hope of heaven because all are going to die under the curse of sin. You have no hope. Verse 17, if Christ isn't alive, then we have no salvation. We have no hope. No payment for our sin has been made. And, and we who say we are in Christ, we are still in our sins. Everything I said earlier about me knowing that I'm saved, it's a lie because Christ didn't rise again. And this is why Paul, who suffered so much for the cause of Christ, who literally bore in his body the marks of the Lord Jesus that he gained through persecution of what? Preaching the resurrected Lord. All that Paul, who suffered so much, he could say in verse 19, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. I've done this all for nothing. I've suffered for nothing. I had a good life as a Pharisee. I had a good life. I was a rising star. I had a good life in religion. And now all that's gone because uh, it, I went over here and I preached Christ. I, I forsook all of that. And now he's saying, if Christ didn't rise, why did I do that? If Christ did not rise again, the whole idea of this message of new beginnings is for nothing. But verse 20. But now is Christ risen from the dead. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Yes. Our sins have been paid for. Hallelujah. Amen. Listen, we can have a new beginning because Christ did rise again. First Peter 1 Peter 1.3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again, born again, unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Without the resurrection, you don't have born again. Without the resurrection, you don't have new beginning. Romans 5.10 for, uh, for if when we were enemies, 
we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. He had to rise again. Romans 8.11, But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. Now, listen. You can take this for what it's worth, but I just happen to know for sure that Christ rose again. You say, how do you know that? I know He's alive forevermore because I was there the day that He saved me. Whoop! I was there. I remember. And listen, a dead man can't save anybody. I remember the day Christ came to me. I remember the day when Christ reached down further than I could reach up. Come on now. I remember the Spirit which raised up Jesus began to dwell in me. I remember when my sins were washed away. I remember when I became a new creature in Christ. I remember the day that I received a new beginning. Somebody help me preach. I remember that day. I was there. He's alive. Just as God destroyed the sin in the old world, in Genesis 7, God took my sin and He destroyed it on the cross. And just as God gave a new beginning in Genesis chapter 8, He gave this old boy a new beginning when He saved me. Amen? My sinful past is gone. Hallelujah! He gave me a new life. He brought me up also out of a miry pit, out of a miry clay. He set my feet upon a solid rock. He established my goings. Woo! Hey, listen, I know I'm not perfect, but I know in whom I believed. And I'm persuaded that He's able to keep that which I've committed unto Him against that day. Man, He put a new song in my mouth. God brought about a change in my life. Say, how do you know that? Because I would have never been a pastor. Exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. Not even LOL. God changed me. I know He's alive because He's still working in my life. I'm not perfect, amen? But praise God, He's working on me. And I'm not the man I used to be. He's risen. My sins have been forgiven. My salvation has been paid for. And now, listen to me, friend. My life is not in vain. My life has meaning. My life has purpose. And no matter how often I allow Satan to whisper in my ear that I shouldn't be up here and that it's just vain having me here, I know that it's, it's useful, it's profitable because He's risen again and He's alive. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Thank God that my life is hid with God in Christ. This sin-sick world is no longer my home. Amen. I seek for a better one to come, amen, and heavenly country where I'll be called His and He'll be called mine. Oh, mercy, I feel like preaching this morning. Listen, one day, my Lord, uh, I'll be with Him for all eternity. Why? Because He took the wrath of God in my place. I don't know how any could refuse a Savior that great. I don't get it. I really don't. There's no other faith like the Christian faith. There's no other Savior like Jesus. In fact, you don't find saviors in the other religions. That's why it's religion. You find you have to do something. So where are you at today, friend? Are you in Genesis chapter 7 where you're going to be destroyed? Or are you in Genesis chapter 8 amongst those who have been saved and are going to experience a new beginning? Hey, listen, I, I know life gets difficult, amen? 
And, and listen, if you're outside of Christ this morning, I want you to understand this. There's Genesis 7, there's Genesis 8. And if you're outside of Christ, God wants to write a new chapter in your life. It doesn't have to end in chapter 7, amen? You say, you don't know what I've done. No, I don't, but He does. So I don't think He could save me. Oh, yes, if God would not have sent His Son to die and bleed for you if He couldn't save you, amen? All you have to do is be born again by the water and the Spirit. You don't have to live a life that is stuck in the trespasses, the deadness of your sins. What do I got to do? You got to have faith. Faith in the resurrected Lord. Romans 10, 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That's as plain as can be. Do you believe God raised him from the dead? Is there anybody here that needs a new life? You don't know for sure if you're saved. You don't know for sure you're going to heaven. I want you to understand your new life is already paid for. You just have to receive it. Receive it through faith. Revelation twenty two seventeen. One last connection between the Spirit and the water. And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Amen. If you need Christ today, won't you come today? He wants to give you a new life. He wants to give you a new beginning. He wants to write a new chapter in your life. Let's pray.